Welcome back, Thirsty Theologians. Uh, Super excited to just share a few thoughts with you this morning. Uh, First of all, big shout out to Madcap Coffee. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of Madcap Coffee, but if you are in the Midwest at all, especially in Michigan, West Michigan in particular, Madcap is like hands down the premier coffee company in the area. Everything they do is on point. Their coffee is amazing. It doesn't matter whether you get, um, you know, like some kind of a cold brew, espresso, pour over, nitro, like all of it is just amazing. And one of the cool things I love about them is because they've built such a name for themselves, they really get access to coffee that not every roastery has access to. Um, They're really well connected. They've been around for a long time and they just do an amazing job. Plus, as a marketing professional in my day job, I have to say their branding is on point. Love their stuff, black with like some bright, vibrant colors. Um, Their brand stands out in this area. Everybody knows it from seeing it. And uh, yeah, they really have set the standard in this area. Every coffee shop that opens is they know they're competing against Madcap. It is the place. So, uh, anyways, just a shout out to Madcap for doing such a great job and uh, fueling my artificial uh, energy for the last several years. But, um, yeah, so this morning I wanted to kind of pick up on a related theme to yesterday's podcast post. Um, Basically, yesterday we were talking about God's holiness is really about wholeness. And I really think that's important for us and uh, kind of talked about how that impacts the way you view other parts of your faith and Christianity. But um, this morning I want to talk specifically about one area that that impacts and that is talking about sin. Sorry, I need another sip there. Talking about sin. So everybody's heard the term sin sins, forgiveness, like these kinds of concepts, they're actually rooted in our American culture. It's not just purely a Christian thing. But what I want to maybe address today is how we talk about it. Um, No questions about whether we talk about it, but how we talk about it is important. And so for me, growing up in a more conservative kind of uh, crowd, the way that sin was often defined, and I cannot tell you how many times I heard this phrase uh, because it was just so prominent, but that sin, uh, kind of the Greek meaning means to miss the mark, that there's a bullseye and you didn't hit it. Um, And while there may be some helpful elements to be saying it that way, I think, much like talking about holiness, is it kind of is a subcategory, a smaller element of the broader concept of sin that the Bible uses. And so I'd like to just take a couple minutes and unpack really where I see sin being the most helpful way to understand it, um, talk about it, work through it. And so, um, yeah, that's kind of what I'm hoping to chat about today. So, Let me just start by giving you my concept and then we'll work backwards from there and just kind of say like, why is that? Why do you feel like that is something worth 
um, standing for, fighting for. Um, so yeah, to me, a better way of talking about sin than as missing the mark is talking about it on a spectrum where on the one end you have utter destruction and on the other end you have human flourishing. Okay. Now these are my terms that I'm using just to try and describe this clearly to you. It doesn't come straight from the Bible, those terms per se, but I think it's helpful to have things that we can um, identify with those concepts as we try and build this out. So one end, utter destruction on the other end, human flourishing. So to me, sin often falls on this spectrum, right? And so we could say, for instance, on the one end, there are the types of actions and activities and habits which slowly but surely lead towards your utter destruction, right? Some clear examples might be murder or rape or some other forms of abuse um, that might, you know, in time lead to utter destruction to the point where really you lose the essence of your humanity in the process of participating in those actions. And so there's like that one spectrum. On the other end of the spectrum, human flourishing, you have somebody who knows exactly what their purpose in life is. They have people that they love sacrificially and who love them unconditionally. Um, they're healthy. They um, are spiritually centered. Um, and, and you could use a bunch of other, other descriptors to describe somebody who lands on that human flourishing spectrum. And so then, of course, all in between is a bunch of other things, right? From white lies, probably not going to send you straight to other destruction. But is it really going to facilitate your human flourishing, right? And um, you also might have the difference between a good decision and a great decision, right? It might be a good decision for me to buy a car. Maybe it would have been a better decision or a great decision to wait another year and save up a little extra, right? So there might be some differences there, and they may still prevent you at times from uh, existing in that human flourishing category, but they, um, uh, aren't necessarily, again, leading to a more destructive lifestyle, if that makes sense. And so I think there's a whole spectrum of choices and decisions that we make that lead us in incrementally in one direction or the other. Um, and just like as a side note here, while I think that there is a, um, not a geographical space, but a spiritual, mental, emotional space that we can talk about as hell, of course, we're going to get into that in a future episode. Um, but I think it's very possible in some ways to experience hell on earth, that, that we don't give enough credit to the fact that people on earth, humans, sometimes choose hell over heaven. They choose to be miserable. They choose to find fault in everything. They choose 
to um, self-destruct in their own loathsome depression rather than fight for healthy. Now, I'm not saying that that's everybody, but I'm saying some people choose that. They embrace the darkness and choose to live there rather than pursuing the light. And so we've got this this broad spectrum of people who are making, uh, taking steps, participating in actions that are moving them incrementally toward either other, utter destruction or human flourishing. And with that in mind, then, some people who consistently and regularly and over the course of time choose destructive behaviors they're able to experience so to speak hell on earth so that's kind of my perspective and and let me tell you why why I think that this is a better way to talk about sin as well as why it's helpful um, in day-to-day activity excuse me so um, first and foremost when it comes to faith communities, one of the big things that a lot of people talk about, especially if they've taken a step back from the faith that they were handed as, as children and as kids, even young adults, is the shaming element. Um, the church has made a, um, an unfortunate habit about putting sin in shame categories, right? If you are doing this, that, or the other, you should be really ashamed. You should hide. Um, rather than us being a space where confession and reconciliation and restoration is um, the norm, it's more normal in the church to pretend that life is going real well and nothing terrible, nothing upsetting, nothing unfortunate, nothing even shameful has taken place in your life. So that's a huge problem. And so when it comes to shaming, what ends up happening is these, these activities, these sins, so to speak, that might be a little bit more, um, I hate to use this word, but there's no better way for me to talk about it using my analogy of the spectrum. They might be more middle of the road issues, right? Oh, wow. You saw pornography last night? Hmm. Oh, you're a teenager who's had premarital sex. Oh, you know, um, and, and, you know, it's interesting that those are the two examples that came to mind because, of course, sexual shaming is probably one of the most common kinds of shaming within the Christian community. But, of course, there's other types of shaming, underage drinking, um, drugs, experimentation, even um, when you have questions, that question, like serious core tenets of the faith, there can be a lot of shame tied to something like that. And so um, I think that with shame in mind, what's helpful about having the spectrum is rather than, let's say, let's say a teenager has premarital sex. Now, on the one hand, you can uh, find out about this and use kind of the classic shaming um, method and be disappointed and um, talk about how they've lost their virtue, they haven't saved themselves, what are they going to tell their future spouse, and all of these kinds of things, these these, kind of ways of talking that produce deeper guilt and encourage hiding the fact from the rest of the world, right? 
Or on the other end, we can talk about it as a either a destructive or productive kind of behavior. And so I think it's very clear from Scripture that God's intention is for sex to be taking place within a marriage, right? I think that was always his intention. It's really hard from a biblical perspective to argue with that. But when you're using a spectrum like the one that we're discussing now, it's easy to say, like, you know what? Like, it does hurt me. You know, that's, I'm thinking about this as a parent, right? It does hurt me um, that you did that. I And in the, in the end of the day, I think that you may not realize it now, but maybe someday down the line when you are married or something like that, like, there is a destructive element to this. There is a a theft of part of your your soul perhaps when you give it to multiple individuals um and so i i think like that would be a better way of talking about it because it doesn't produce shame it creates a space for um like constructive criticism and saying like okay so like yeah that was the destructive decision let's let's work on being constructive and productive now Let's make decisions that are going to move us towards human flourishing despite this decision. And so we can kind of work towards moving the pendulum in the other direction, even though a poor decision was made, right? Um, Whereas sin or righteousness, there's only two options. There's either you screwed up or you made the right decision. It's all black and white, and you're either on one end or the other. And then, of course, you know, in this example, there could be an added layer, right? So this child has premarital sex, and you find out, but you find out because um, the other one is, or one of them is pregnant, right? Okay, now we have a teenager, somebody who's really just not prepared to be a parent, who is now in a situation where they have produced a child. Okay, on the spectrum, right, of self-destruction, that might be an even more self-destructive scenario, right? A more self-destructive consequence of their actions. But we're not sitting there, standing there, looking down on them. You sinned, right? that's That's a statement of judgment, right? You are in the absolute and utter wrong. And I'm not gonna sit here and say, like, that's a good idea, or that that's not wrong. I don't think that's something that is um, a practice and a habit that should be condoned per se. But what I'm what I'm saying is that it's more helpful to talk to them about the self-destructive types of decisions being made and the consequences and the ripple effects, not just in the immediate moment, but in the long term, um, especially if they're con- to continue in the types of activities that they're a part of. And I think that's a much more helpful way. But not just helpful, I think it's biblical. You know, one of the things that people, I don't think I've ever heard a sermon on these passages, but uh, people often overlook it is there does seem to be a sense of like gradations, so to speak, when we're talking about sin. Um, There's one particular passage where Jesus is talking to a group of people and he says, you know, if uh, Sodom and Gomorrah had seen the, the things that I had done, that you've seen, they would have repented by now and been saved, right? Now, 
if you kind of take a step back and say, well, who the heck is Sodom and Gomorrah? Um, the Old Testament in the book of Genesis talks about Sodom and Gomorrah as being just like the epitome of self-destruction. The people have no restraint. They involve themselves in anything and, and everything that could be self-destructive to themselves, um, destructive to each other. And it gets so bad that, at least in the story, um, God rains down fire from heaven and destroys the cities. And so Sodom and Gomorrah throughout the Old Testament kind of carry this um, this idea as they're the representatives of human evil, right? They are the epitome, they are the pinnacle of that. And here we have Jesus centuries, millennia later, saying, if those people had seen the miracles, if they had heard the teachings that I'm, I'm producing right now, they would have repented and been saved. And so even here, you know, we, we see Jesus talking to religious leaders and doubters who are there in his presence and saying, you guys are so stubborn and so pigheaded and so short-sighted, you cannot see what's right in front of you. In fact, you're so committed to your own religious perspective that, that Sodom and Gomorrah would have been more likely to repent than you. So it seems to me like that's just one example, and there are other examples that could be mentioned, right? Um, where we're seeing some, some grades of human destructiveness. The attitude that the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees, these religious leaders during Jesus' time had, was so prideful, so certain that they knew exactly what they were talking and exactly what to expect and exactly what a Messiah would, would um, be like that when he's standing right in front of them, showing them miracles, telling them who God really is and what he's really like, they're so insistent that they're right and he is wrong, that that puts them in a far more destructive space than all of these carnal things that are described about Sodom and Gomorrah. And so, um, not to take time to go into a handful of passages, but I think that that's a very helpful um, passage for us to see that at the very least in the New Testament, specifically even coming straight from Jesus' mouth, the horse's mouth, so to speak, is that there's gradations of sin. And if there's gradations of sin, then we can talk about a spectrum, right? We can talk about people who have moved themselves so incrementally down the path towards utter destruction that they've surpassed other people along the way, right? And, um, the great news, too, which I think is very redemptive and in line with, like, the gospel itself, is that it doesn't matter on the spectrum where you are at one any given, any given time. Because um, there is this sense that you can start now and today and tomorrow and whatever uh, making decisions that are more healthy that are more constructive and productive, and you can start to move the pendulum back towards human flourishing. And so I think built within this way of talking about human activity, it's not only um, more in line with some of the biblical concepts, um, because we do see gradations within scripture of like decisions and how wrong they are and how much they impact people. And we also see that it helps us to have constructive ways of talking about poor decisions 
that carry this element of redemption, that good news. You made a decision that inched you towards utter destruction, but you're not utterly destroyed right now. We can make decisions today, right now, in this very moment, that are going to move the marker towards human flourishing. And let's figure out what that looks like together, right? Like that conversation is one that brings life, that brings peace, that brings satisfaction, right? Not the one that looks like, wow, you sinned, you've brought shame on our family or on yourself or on your group of friends or your school or whoever the impacted community is by a certain decision, right? And that's that to stand there and look down on that and say that is sin is to put a final mark on it, to say, wow, you really screwed the pooch on this one, right? I hate that saying. I don't know why I said that or why that's even a thing. But um, the point is that it seems like something that is cemented in stone, right? And I think that Jesus comes in and, and his whole point is, no, nothing's ultimate and cemented. cemented. I am here and I'm going to break into the hearts of people all across the spectrum. In fact, I could break into the hearts of some of the most destructive people in history, right? Ted Bundy, um, I'm sure that's a name that all of you are familiar with, created atrocious decisions. Not only destroyed himself in the process, but of course, the lives of so many women and the impact that that kind of brutality has on a community, on the families of those women. To, and, and, and the ripple effects go on to this day as young parents are coming into this world with children and saying, I can't trust other people like I used to be able to or thought I should be able to because there's people out here like that, right? So the ripple effects of those decisions are massive. And yet, I remember watching a video of him talking about how his, his, he kind of had an awakening um, during his time in prison before he was going to be executed and how he came to realize that he was forgiven, forgiven because of Jesus. And I think to myself, if a guy like Ted can have that kind of swing, who can't have that, right? Who can't go from wherever they're at on the spectrum to another point in the spectrum? It doesn't happen overnight. And it is probably hard work depending on what's got you there. If it's a drug addiction, that's going to be a lot of hard work, right? But whatever it is, that there is, no, there is never a point of hope being lost. There is never a point where somebody becomes hopeless. And to me... I think that's a better perspective about sin. That's a more biblical perspective. There is no destructive behavior that is beyond a point of no return for the loving, caring, passionate, pursuing, unconditional love of Jesus Christ that's available in the Holy Spirit. To me, that's the gospel. That is a beautiful way of talking and looking and thinking about sin as a concept. And so hopefully for some of you who've grown up hearing about sin as black and white, you either sinned or you didn't, um, hopefully this has encouraged you. Um, for those of you who maybe are a little bit less familiar 
with the concept. Maybe this has given you some language to understand your life's decisions. And hopefully it will give you an encouragement that whatever decisions have come in the past, but also the decisions that will come in the future, are not a final statement about who you are. They're not a final statement about who you will be. There are decisions, there are activities, there are practices and rhythms that you can choose to be a part of right here, right now, that will make a a difference, that will move you on the spectrum from whatever point of destruction you might be in to a point of a more flourishing human. So hopefully that was encouraging to you. Would love to hear some thoughts and feedback. There is a post on our website about sin um, and whether or not that means missing the mark. Would love to hear some comments to see some interaction there. Um, We invite you to join us there at www.thirstytheology.com. Until next time, stay thirsty, theologians.